As we begin our lesson this morning, may I remind each of us about our Tuesday evening service this week. Keep in mind our elders have chosen that instead of meeting on Wednesday, we'll be meeting at 7 o'clock on Tuesday this week, so please keep that in mind. And we'll look forward certainly to that opportunity of reflecting upon a part of the Word of God. And it's a blessing to be able to be together today, this Lord's Day morning, the third Sunday in November this current year. An invitation is a pretty special thing. I'm sure that you've received many invitations in your life to perhaps a number of activities, and they often indicate something very special. Someone had enough preparation and enough consideration of desiring your presence that they sent you an invitation. Maybe it was to someone's birthday party. Maybe it was to someone's graduation celebration. Maybe it was to a friend's wedding. Whatever event it may have been, someone desired your presence at their particular event. May I say to you today that the Bible extends to us many invitations. And we're going to give some thought, rather detailed thought, to some of them this morning. And I believe the lessons that we shall extract from it will not only be encouraging, but very direct and to the point. So much so that why don't we, of course, note this next slide, which is by far the grandest invitation of them all. I'd like for you and me to give some thought to this one. Jesus Christ desires your presence. He desires in great love and fidelity for you to accept His invitation that He offers you. And it's an amazing thing that the Son of God, the God incarnate Himself, knows your name and mine, He knows the particulars of your life and mine, and He invites, He extends the opportunity of an invitation to you and me. Let's, near the, beginning near the top of that slide, state it like this. Our Savior, Jesus the Christ, came into this world, and He did so for the express purpose of saving sinners. In 1 Timothy 1.15, we read that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief, Paul would say. He understood quite well that apart from the majesty and the offering of the Master, there is to be found no salvation. Isn't it amazing in 1 John 3, 15, verse number 5, we learn that as the Master came, He came to forgive, to make possible the forgiveness of our sins. Sins, you see, can't be forgiven any other way. They can't be forgiven by giving money. They can't be forgiven by other attributes of, quote, good works, whatever they may be called. The only detergent that can cleanse sin is the blood of Christ. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission, Hebrews 9.22. To that might we add the following, which is the next matter on that slide. The God of heaven extended a gift. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift, 2 Corinthians 9.15. And the grandeur of that gift is maybe highlighted by that text that sometimes is called the golden text of the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So far we've highlighted many things about Jesus and His offer and what is available. And there is no salvation in any other than Him. In light of that, now listen to the invitation. All of those things are rather amazing. 
all that we've said so far should flame within us a desire and a burning passion to appreciate what Jesus did for us. But now the Lord Himself looks to you and me squarely in the eye and He says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Sometimes that's called the great invitation of the Bible. It's found in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. As you and I have just noted, I've asked you to appreciate a few particulars about it. Let's, in fact, highlight each of them. First of all, the word come is the first word. And you notice that's an imperative in the Greek text, and it emphasizes a bit of exclamation. There's an excitement here. There is a rather profound intensity. Jesus looks upon the hearts of those struggling and yearning in so many particulars of life and says, Come, won't you come to me? And the invitation the Lord extends now directly includes all of these particular subjects. All ye that labor, who among us doesn't labor? All ye that are heavy laden, doesn't that include all of us? I've asked you to notice the literal meanings of those words. That word labor literally identifies to toil, to work, to labor. And yet that word heavy laden identifies those who are weighed down with the characteristic troubles and difficulties of life. And may I suggest anybody with sin is going to fall into these categories. Because sin is a clouding of the mind. It troubles the appreciation and turns one aside from the directness and the pathway that is the correct one in life. And thus Jesus extends this invitation, Come unto me. And as He extends it, you'll notice next on the slide, as surely as that includes each of us, and as surely as it includes those who have a myriad of other matters in life, would you note the promise? And I will give you rest. Words fail me to describe the fullness of that promise. I will give you rest. Myself, I can't do that. I can't make you that promise. Your parents can't make you that promise. Your granddaddy can't make you that promise. Your employer can't make you that promise. Nobody can make that promise but the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll give you a peace of mind that transcends understanding and knowledge. I'll give you an assurance of heaven that no amount of money can buy. And I'll give you a thoroughfare and a channel through life that is absolutely unsurpassed. I'll make you a part of the very family of God. And I'll write your name in the book of life. There ain't a man on earth that can promise that. But Jesus can and he did. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. May I ask, who would refuse such an invitation? I know you're like me. You've been extended a lot of invitations in life, and sometimes you weren't all that thrilled. But due to some matter of obligation, you felt it important to be there. And you felt otherwise that it had some degree of things about it that perhaps were noble. What do you think about the consideration of refusing the Lord's invitation? Can you imagine the absurdity of it? 
you imagine the kind of mentality or thinking that would go into refusing the invitation the Lord would extend? I'll give you rest. Those burdens that so trouble you and those challenges and difficulties of life that weigh you down, I'll give you rest. We haven't finished it, you know, so let's continue on to the next verse. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. You may notice you're at the bottom of that particular slide. The Lord Himself promises rest, and He highlights this interesting obligation. This invitation that the Lord extends, as sweet, as profound, as powerful as it is, you do notice it comes with obligation. And maybe on this next slide, it would be fair to comment about some of them. Jesus has highlighted the blessing of the reward and what comes with the invitation to those who come, to those who pursue the Master. They are promised rest, and they are promised relief. But you'll notice the Lord Himself did say that this burden is light and this yoke is easy. Now, Brother Larry just led us in song, and you and I joined our voices together in song number 236. We just sang this. His yoke is easy, His burden is light. We sang it identically. I hope you and I gave some thought to what we were just singing. I hope we reflected somewhat on the promise and the realization that was included in the words that we sang together. In this text before us, verse 29 reads, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Did you notice there's an obligation in this? For the Lord to extend the invitation is one thing. The invitation has to be accepted. Take my yoke upon you. May I say that the Lord's invitation comes with unsurpassed reward to those who accept and those who pursue and those who follow. It's a great thing. But of course, the taking of that yoke does bring into your life and mind the obligations connected to service to the Master. Unwavering dedication. Unwavering devotion. Absolute commitment and faith. You know, the invitation that the Lord extends is etched on virtually every page of the New Testament. Isn't it amazing the Bible ends that way in Revelation 22, the very last chapter in all of Holy Writ? Whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. God never gives up on the reality of extending the beauty of that invitation. You see, we understand that as Paul preached in Acts 17, he highlighted it again where to those who were mired in idolatry, he pointed out to them in verses 30 and 31 of that chapter, the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he would judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. And so as the invitation was extended by the Lord, as it was extended by Peter and Paul and James and the other inspired persons of the, of the New Testament era, we today can perhaps summarize it 
or highlight it maybe like this. This invitation the Lord has extended is somewhat like the menu at Cain's Restaurant in Cookville. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to Cain's or not. It hadn't been in Cookville all that long. But let me go ahead and forewarn you. If you don't like chicken fingers and fries, don't go there. That's all they've got. There's no point in looking for baked beans, steak, anything else. No fish, no Spanish food, nothing on the menu. If you don't like French fries and chicken fingers, there's no point in going there. The menu is simple and straightforward. The invitation of the Lord is simple and straightforward. You've got to relinquish everything to Him. There's nothing else on the menu. That's it. Now, Cain's has made a fortune with a menu like that because people like chicken fingers and french fries, and that's fine. But can I remind each of us that the invitation the Lord extends, in order to go to heaven, you and I have got to put the master first. Matthew 6, 33. And we can't be beset and moving about by other winds of doctrine. We cannot direct our attention elsewhere. Our service to the master must be first. As Jesus extends that invitation, what about some examples in the Word of God that thrill our heart as we consider what it was that took place? In Acts chapter 8, there was a man that had traveled a thousand miles to worship. I feel sure not one of us have ever come close to traveling a thousand miles to worship. And he was riding in a chariot. It probably took weeks to travel that distance. He had gone to worship in the only way he understood how to do it. He traveled from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit told Philip, join yourself to the chariot. That man needs to hear something. He needs to be apprised of something. He needs to hear the invitation. And sure enough, the man said, how can I understand unless some man guide me? And up into the chariot, Philip came. And verse 35 says, starting at that very passage he preached to him, Jesus. He extended the invitation. And it wasn't very long. The man said, hold it, I've heard enough. Here's water, why can't I be baptized? He'd heard enough preaching, it's time to do something about it. He stopped the preacher before the invitation was extended, and he himself was ready for it. Do you notice there was one thing on the mind of the Ethiopian nobleman? I'm lost. I know what I need to do. Let's do it. Let's don't wait until we get to the destination. There's water here. The opportunity is now. And thus, Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And the text says the man went on his way rejoicing. He wasn't rejoicing before. He couldn't have rejoiced. He was a man in sin. He was a man encumbered, you see, with those burdens and the matters you and I noted earlier. But now he has come to the Lord. And in the sense he had come to the Lord, it's no wonder now he went on his way rejoicing. It's no wonder that those burdens and those issues in life had been lifted. Oh, how the invitation was powerful. And so was the response to it. But you know, we could go back even earlier in that chapter to Acts 8, verse 12. Here was a community. It was the Samaritan community. 
you and I remember many things about that community based on earlier texts in the New Testament. And yet as Philip moved his way into that area, there was a great persecution. Acts 8 verse 4 says, They went everywhere preaching the word. You see, there was a great deal of challenge and difficulty. You and I know what's about to happen in the next chapter. Saul had letters that allowed him to arrest Christians and even put them to death. The church was having some hard times. But yet, you and I notice in that chapter, Philip went down to Samaria and he preached. He extended the invitation. And verse 12 says, When they heard Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, many of them, both men and women, were baptized. They heard the invitation. And oh, how delightful they were in responding to it. You see, the invitation was notable, powerful. The Lord had extended it and He commissioned His apostles. Not long before He ascended back to heaven, do you recall what He told them? You go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You keep extending the invitation. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. As those reminders are set before us, could I point out the invitation was extended. And aren't we blessed to have page after page of the New Testament reminding us of the sweet response of many. I close that slide by just reminding all of us this. Jesus Christ has extended to you and to me an invitation requesting the honor of your presence. The sermon isn't finished. Jesus is not the only one extending an invitation. It would be great if He were, but there is not that truth. There is another who very much requests the honor of your presence at His banquet as well, at His invitation as well. We each know who we're talking about. Satan also extends to you and to me a very notable invitation. Let's, in fact, develop that using some of the features on that slide. The Bible so often makes mention of this word tempt. You see, that's the manner by which Satan extends his invitation. He allures, he entices, he puts something before you which is not in some way right for you, and he hopes, he hopes that you will succumb to it. He wants you to give in. He wants you to accept his invitation. On that slide, I pointed out James 1, verses 13 and following. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. Paul directly told the Thessalonians, verse Thessalonians 3, verse 5, The tempter tempted you. It's no different for you and me today. The invitation that Jesus extends, remember, is very different than this one. This invitation, you and I notice, there are times when Satan is very aggressive about extending his invitation. There are times he doesn't just passively sit by. Do you recall what he did to Job? Job's camels, his oxen, his sheep, his children were all gone. And Satan was the one that did it. 
He was the one behind it. He was aggressively after Job. Not only that example of Job. In Hebrews eleven thirty seven, in that famous honor roll of faith, one by one the precious characters of faith are listed for you and me. And when we arrive at that verse, it says, They were tempted. You see, he, he tried. He tempted Abraham and Moses and Sarah, and he tempted all the others that were listed. And he tempts you and he tempts me as well. But his invitation doesn't lead to life. It leads to ruin. 1 Peter 5, 8 reminds us as a roaring lion, he walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The most impressive part of that verse, I suppose, is the compound character of devour and lion. Well, we know what lions do. They're ferocious. They're fearsome. That's how Satan is. He's not a buddy, a friend. He's not a kind individual who is merely extending a lovely invitation. He's out for your ruin. He's out for your doom. He wants you to be exactly where he is. It might well be in that life. It's not my wish to reflect poorly on Golden Corral. But it would seem to me that Satan's invitation is a lot like their menu. If you've ever been to Golden Corral, you can go in. If you like salad, they've got it. If you want steak, they've got it. If you want Mexican food, they've got it. If you want any other kind of dessert, if you want steak, if you want meatloaf and mashed potatoes, American food, it's all there. Get whatever you want. That's what Satan says. Get whatever you want, enjoy whatever you like, and just live it up. And how different that is from what the Lord demanded. Remember, that's Cain's menu. One thing, and that's it. There is nothing else. May I say, every one of us are standing with an empty plate and a fork and spoon. And we've got a choice. Are we going to be like those at Golden Corral and try to make matters and approaches to the things of the life? Or, much like Cain's, are we going to be restricted and humble ourselves to appreciate that and that alone? We each have to choose. No one can make the decision for me, and I can't make it for you. But what you and I do notice is that all of us have been given some invitations, and we get to choose the one to which we will reply. It's our choice. You'll notice near the bottom of that slide, we have some examples in the Bible, and many could have been listed. I chose just a few. Do you recall that unforgettable scene in Luke 18, verses 18 and following? You recall the scene well. A man came running to the Lord. That indicates passion and excitement. And we soon learn what he had in mind. Good master, what good thing should I do that I may inherit eternal life? He asked the right question. We have reason to congratulate him on many particulars. He came to the right person. He asked the right question. The answer the Lord gave. You and I know Jesus could read the man's heart. Jesus commended him for keeping those commandments. Remember he said, I've kept them all for my youth. Jesus said, one thing you lack. 
one. You see, Jesus knew He loved His money more than He loved anything else. He loved the features and characteristics of the matters this world had to offer more than anything else. One thing you lack, go sell what you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the text says the man went away sorrowfully. He had a plate in his hand. He chose to turn away from the Lord's invitation. He went away sorrowfully. He chose Golden Corral. You and I can hope that ultimately he came to his senses. The Bible never mentions him again. We don't know. You and I have a plate in our hand too. The next example is this one. In Acts 26, we encounter a gentleman, a very high man in prestige. He was high up, you see, in the government of the Roman Empire. Agrippa was the ruler, the rather notable ruler over a significant part of that Palestinian region, and he would have answered to Caesar in a sense that there weren't many steps between him and the Caesar. This man, you see, was such that Paul brought to him the invitation of the Lord. And here's what Agrippa said. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. To be almost saved is to be altogether lost. You know, to be close, I guess, doesn't help unless we're in horseshoes or grenades. But isn't it true that here Agrippa was this close? We do remember a couple of chapters earlier that Felix trembled. I wonder if his knees were knocking. He heard the invitation, but he couldn't bring himself to respond as he ought to have done it. Jesus requests the honor of your presence. He requests the honor of my presence. And so strong is the invitation that He shed His blood on a cross to ensure that we would understand just how notable it is. But we would certainly be naive not to think that Satan also is extending invitations. And he's good at it. He wants to paint before you and me the allurements, anything to move us aside from that invitation of the Lord. And the Bible gives us a host of other particulars about this. What about Demas? We noted him last past Wednesday evening in our Bible study hour. And, and what an impressive reminder. What a great lesson for all of us. Demas was faithful to the Lord for a while. In fact, apparently for a number of years he was faithful to the Lord. He was a companion on the missionary journeys. He stood side by side and toe to toe with Paul in light of a number of afflictions and challenges. And yet the very last letter that Paul ever wrote, 2 Timothy 4 verse 10, he says, Demas has forsaken me. He loved this present world. Nearly brings a tear to your eye, doesn't it? I hope Demas didn't die that way. I hope he finally came to his senses. But we don't know. What about you and me today? Were you faithful at a time? And as of today, you're not. Maybe you've never been faithful. Maybe you're yet waiting with an open plate in hand you've got to make a decision as to which invitation you will accept. 
May I point out that it's not possible to refuse both of the invitations. We must accept one or the other. If you reject the Lord's by default, you accept the devil's. Today, the invitation of our Lord would maybe lead us to note that there are names etched on the pages of the New Testament for all these centuries. It's not just Demas, but it's others. Because God allows all of us to decide what we want to do with the invitation. In 1 Timothy 1, verse number 20, Alexander and Hymenaeus are listed, and they chose the wrong one. Satan extends an invitation requesting the honor of your presence. Jesus, you see, does that same thing. Which will it be for you and me? Let's conclude the lesson by allowing each of us, in a very personal observation, to think about that. Jesus died on the cross for you. What would Satan ever do for you? He brings you hardship and hurt. He brings you trouble and disappointment. He brings you heartache. That's all he's got to offer. And if that isn't enough, the icing on the cake is eternity in hell. Why would any of us want to follow him? But yet he makes it so appealing and so alluring. It satisfies the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life, or some combination of it, and we fall for it. We make a bad decision. And we make a bad pursuit in life. But there is always the Lord who says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest in your souls. Jesus offers us with our coming to Him, our fidelity and our devotion in life. He promises rest. He promises the kind of life here built upon faith and a life that's built with confidence and assurance. And if that isn't enough, the icing on the cake is heaven. We would be a fool to accept Satan's invitation, really. But yet, isn't he good at it? And we often do. Today, as you analyze your life, and as I do the same for me, if you at one time were a faithful Christian, but you're not today, won't you accept the Lord's invitation? He wants you to come back home. He, in fact, is so much desirous of you being at the position of faithfulness that you once were. If you've never become a Christian, oh, how he extends the invitation. Don't you want your sins washed away? He can do it. If you will believe in the Lord and repent of your sins, confess His name, and submit to being baptized, He will forgive those sins, and you too can enjoy that life that He has described in that invitation. Today, we would love to be of help. We'd love to be of encouragement. And if we could do that now, we would wish to extend this. Brother Larry has chosen a song of invitation. Notice the word, invitation. The Lord's inviting you. If you wish to come, won't you do it while we stand and sing?